everyone, and welcome back to the Between Realities VR Podcast. That's right, baby. We're excited. It's Friday. It is September 15th, 2023, the year of our Lord, and uh, things could be worse. We have an amazing show that we have planned for today, and uh, I don't know about you, Skiva, but I've been pretty stoked. Oh, hi, by the way, I'm Alex. I'm a host of the show, and that's Skiva. He's also <laughs> hey, a host what's of up, the show. Dude? What's How up? are you, man? Great. It's great to see you. I'm happy. It's Friday. We made it through another insane week. And, uh, you know, I've been absolutely stoked for this episode uh, for months. So Months? I'm excited. For months. Months. Yep. How, how have we kept our mouth shut for months? <laughs> We're pretty good at, about that with the, with the guests on yeah, the show. Yeah, we are. You know, like, I, I like to keep everybody in suspense for as much as I can. <laughs> um, I forgot my, my boom arm today. Yeah, you did. No boom boom for Alex. I'm a little sad. <laughs> I mean, obviously I have something here. You know, Skiva hooked me up with a mic stand. But... Yes. We got that clutch stand just, uh, you know, that sits there just in case. It's actually what I use for crew cast too. Oh really? So, mm -hmm. You just not you just don't want to go through. No, the I just don't have this table, and I can't clip the uh, this mic arm to the other table. Fair enough. Yeah. I mean, it's getting the job done. You know, it it's, it's not like yeah. it's cool because I can't just like rip it around yeah. in front of me as yeah. much as I want. But whatever. You're jealous. Yeah, I am, and I, I wish I had my thing. <laughs> but you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna hunker down and get through it. Nice. Yep. Uh, so yeah, you know, it's Friday. Like I said, uh, it's September. You know, halfway through the month. Um, this year is just slipping like sand through our fingertips. I know it's gonna be 2024 like tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. then all of a sudden we're gonna be like 80. We're gonna be like, what happened, bro? I know. Like, holy shit. Yep. Yeah. How did we get so old? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's pretty <laughs> wild. You know, CES is like the thing for me, you know, it's like, it like marks the start of the year almost. And like, because yeah. I'm like always looking forward to it, there's like, it just sneaks up every yeah. time. So like all of a sudden before I know it, it's CES and like, that's a year. Yeah. <laughs> I got to start planning our party. Like now this coming up week starts the party planning for a CES VR industry party, Yes. which, um, which we, you know, it's a great party. If you're going to CES, uh, hit me up and I will get you in the door to that party. It's fantastic. Lots of VR stuff, lots of VR people. Uh, and it's great. So, yep. So, yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, I want to quickly shout out upload VR. We are official upload VR correspondent, and we are happy to be in the upload family and we love you guys um you can see this episode on upload vr on the weekends uh you can also catch our podcast on all your podcast places and soon yeah. soon enough audible thanks to skiva he's gonna make it happen <laughs> you know i almost thought of it because someone brought it to my attention that there are podcasts on audible but you do have to subscribe monthly to get to the podcasts on there so i don't know that it's worth it we're doing it all right. Okay. Coming we'll to Audible. <laughs> Coming to Audible. We'll see. see. But it's on, it's on all the other platforms too. You know, yeah. Apple and Spotify and all that crap. So and YouTube, um, where you currently are. Hopefully, maybe. Yeah. Well, that's know. true. The people, <laughs> the people that are live. I'm sorry to the rest of you. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Wherever you are, we are happy to have you. Thank you so much. We for really being. are. And um, you know, a special shout out, of course, to those who join us for the live show. We really enjoy doing the show live, and yep. we appreciate um, the participation from everyone. In the chat, including first in chat today for me, Miss Classy Graham, Grandma. What's up, Classy? Hey, what's up, Classy? Thank you so much for all your support. You're not the only, best. Not only is she just like in general, like our hypest uh, community member, yeah. she also has now been a member of the Between Realities on YouTube for five months and just uh, donated $5 to Super Chat saying, oh, yes, I love you guys. Thank you. Love you. I don't know what else to tell you, Classy. Thank you, Classy. Yeah. You're the best. Thanks. Um, my wife Brittany's in the chat. Hello, hey, to you. Brittany. How are you? Thank you for being here, Q Creator. The Q weekend. Creator. He said the weekend in Discord, not what? here. 
What? I know. It was in Discord earlier. He's like, yeah. I'm oh, no. That throws my weekend all off. <laughs> I know. I know. It's messed up. What, what the hell, creator? How could you do this to us? Uh, butter something in the house. Good to see you, man. Thanks for swinging through. Uh, Indie VR said, uh, you know, he's going to catch up later. And that's great. Oh, right on. Yeah. Thanks for popping in anyway. Cool, cool. Yep. Traveling hey. man, 3775 in the house. And Amelia what Faust in the house. Hey, Good hey. evening. Good evening. Paradise Decay is awake for a change. What's wow, up? what's up, PD? How are you, man? And you know, I bet you PD is especially excited for uh, the Squid Games LBE experiences. I know, he's, right? He's such a um, like squid, I'm a squid game. He's a squid fan. fan too. One of the few shows that I watched in the past, like two years, right? So I I'm love excited you, PD, to go to that. And and your squid. Pilot <laughs> 007 is here. What's up, man? Good to hey. see you. Duggars K in the house as well. Of course, our homie Mickey Bear. Hey, Mickey. Shout out to Mickey Bear. Just with the codes, you know? He's Every podcast, too. Not he must ours. buy a thousand games a month. He's insane. It's insane. Yeah. Literally. Just sprays them out yep. for everyone. Red to... Slash Ace in the house. What's up, Red? My haptic homie. <laughs> I absolutely love it. Uh, Z Storm, um, dude, I was just telling Steve up, earlier. Z? Z, me and Z Storm are getting into Firewall pretty regularly. Oh, sweet! And we don't lose, do we? Like I say it sometimes. Nice. I'm like, yeah, me and Z have been playing. We don't lose, and like yep. it's like ha ha ha. But like, no, Z, tell them. <laughs> we don't lose it's great uh destiny 11 is here what's up destiny uh diego darko is excited as hell to watch this one in the morning sounds like he's going to betty bye sweet see you in the morning uh vr spry mm -hmm. guy what's up man good what's to see up, you spry guy yeah ryan b chilling right in the house super pumped for the show dude we're super pumped to have you here thanks for being a part of it snow toad evening all what's up snow toad and secrets up, of yo what's up secrets of good to see hey. you Fluke Rogi, oh, chilling fluke. in the What's house. Up, man? Um, classy grandma saying that she uh, hopes we're feeling better. Let's mow the lawn. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's a good plan, girl. <laughs> That's a good plan. Ashley C, happy Friday. Happy Friday, hey, Ashley. What's up, Ashley? Always celebrating the Fridays. All right. And staying hydrated. Oh, getting things done. It must be Jay Dunn in there. Dude, you know Had a great Jay show Dunn. yesterday um, about the uh, comedy club in... Um, in Meta Horizons, it was mm -hmm. super good, and uh, you know they were stoked that they got legs now. So, so yeah, I'm stoked they got legs. Yeah, me too. Those me avatars too. look way better. They do. They absolutely do. They really do. Yeah. Um, and everybody else who is here, um, thank you for joining us. Um, today's a big episode. You know, uh, a lot of uh, a lot of people who are into VR are huge fans of the lawnmower man <laughs> yeah so this is a, a sci-fi yep. horror movie i guess you know which i guess we'll get into a little bit because yep. i, I want to argue that a little but regardless it's like a sci-fi uh intense like yep. visceral experience that came out in 92 and um kind of like laid the path for a lot of v vr tech at least in like the public perception and yeah. like, kind of like the direction that we'll all be going in and if you've watched the if you've watched Between Realities for the past seven seasons, you can go all the way back, probably the first season. And when people say, "Well, how'd you get into VR?" One of my very earliest things is saying watching the movie The Lawnmower Man has just really like that really got me pumped for the future and kind of took my course and kind of steered it towards you know this whole future of, of extended and virtual reality so yeah it's crazy yeah. and i bet you never thought that uh, we'd have an opportunity to connect no. with the writer and director. I'm not in a million years. Well, it's here, dude. And Heck yeah. it's about to happen right now. <laughs> Everybody, please welcome to Between Realities, the writer and director of The Lawnmower Man, Mr. Brett Leonard. Hey, Brett. Hey, everybody. How are you doing? What's up, Good man? Hey, Brett. How's it going? Thank you so much it's for going, coming. It's going great. 
Awesome. It's good to be between realities as opposed to landing on any given reality. That is right. Good answer. <laughs> I, between realities is it. That's where we are, man. It's, exactly. It is it. And I appreciate that you didn't say beyond realities because that is like, <laughs> for some reason, that's what everybody just like, that's like their comfort. Well, spot. now that's what he's going to think of. Well, no, he's not. <laughs> he, he knows. Brett, Brett knows. He gets it. Oh, man. Kensei, Ga Kensei Gaming VR in the chat. What's up, Kensei? Thanks for yeah. coming. And Lesser Logic 2 yep. and Laszlo hey. 216, Cleveland Heights represent. Um, All right. Yeah, Brett, we're so stoked, man. Yeah, to just to be transparent about this, um, good, you know. I uh, I was born in 1987, okay? So mm. I was pretty young when The Lawnmower Man yeah. came out. Um, yeah. But I remember, see, like, perusing my, like, local video shops and, like, seeing it on the shelf in there and, like, seeing it in the horror section, you know? So, like, The yeah. Lawnmower Man, like, there's this creepy, like, face guy on there and, like, being a kid, <laughs> I'm like, okay, that's, that's a whole thing right there. Yeah. And I, you know, yeah. this is... I was a gamer when I was a young kid, but certainly didn't have, like, the interest in VR or anything. So it's kind of interesting because, for me, my connection to The Lawnmower Man when I was, like, when I was young and it was, like, kind of, like, the time for it was this can you see what i'm holding in my hand i am holding in my hand a copy of the lawnmower man super nintendo game which oh yes i played I, the I, living I do, crap I out of yes i played so people, much of a this. lot of people have come to me with having played that game and know about that game more so than i would have guessed at the time because you know <laughs> this is a you know lawnmower man was a, a, ostensibly a low budget genre film that you know didn't usually have studio tie-ins to other ancillary products, and the fact that Larman had a video game was kind of an anomaly, actually. And and I was like, sort of astonished. And then over the years, it's actually been one that many people have mentioned to me. I of course have played it myself, and uh, it was uh, it was great to have that as part of the. The, the thematic of what Lawman was about. When you first saw the game, and uh, obviously I'm gonna, I feel like this is a weird place to start, but I don't care. We're here. Um, <laughs> when, you when you first saw the game, like, were you like, were you like, hey, like, okay, like, I get it. I see what they're doing here. Like, do you think that they like faithfully represented the IP, or did you have some thoughts for, the, for, the, for what was possible at the time? Uh, yes, uh, you know, I mean, I, I think, you know, conceptually, Lawman was something that was shot showing a, a version of potential reality that was coming. And so it was all extrapolation. And so the game was an extrapolation from that. I mean, the story of Longer Man is one of deep extrapolation from many different layers and levels, starting with the Stephen King short story, nothing to do with, which by the way, would never happen these days at all. Right. Would never, would, it just, and it, the way that film happened, I look at it now and it's of a different era of filmmaking. One I was very, I mean, I'm very happy I was part of, but you could actually have a movie that you made for fairly low budget, go out there, do incredibly well theatrically. That would, you know, lead it to being a global phenomenon. That's what happened for me with Lawmer Man. And that's not even, you know, Lawmer Man would be something that would be released uh, you know, on on Netflix uh, for one weekend and then it would go on. You know, I mean, the the era is gone of that kind of uh, of that kind of content going into culture and having an effect on culture. And so, as you were saying in your in your intro, you know, the fact that you were saying that Lawnmower Man was uh, you know part of steering you in the direction of virtual reality. I mean, I've literally heard that 
thousands and thousands of people over the years. And that's wow. really a, an amazing experience. I mean, I, you know, I, and I, I see now films, very few films could actually do that. And especially not from the, you know, the lower genre level of films. They're having that kind of, uh, you know, that's kind of effect on culture is very rare these days. Yeah. It's, we're in a different world. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And this is, it's so, it's just so crazy because like, you know, if you watch the movie today, like you can see clear evidence of like where we are right now, you know? And I that's know for big. someone like Skiva, like I was young, you know, but Skiva is like eight or nine years older than me, mm -hmm. you know? So like you were yep. of an age where you were like fully able to, and, and like you knew what was going on with this movie. You were all about I it. did. I did. And, uh, you know, I watched this movie and it fascinated me and I, and I, I just couldn't get enough of it. And I, I looked forward to the day where we could explore other realities uh, by putting something on my face. And then, you know, not long, not too long after um, Lawnmower came out, I maybe two years after that, I got to try the the uh, virtuality uh, headset, yeah. you know, 20 frames a second of, of VR glory. And I was like, oh, we're here. The future is now, you know, and then it wasn't now, but you know, it, it definitely kept me stoked and excited for the future that was coming. And, and then the, the virtuality uh, thing, because you know, they did actually release the location-based virtuality game. You stood in that, you know, that that enclosure and had the giant virtuality headset on. Yeah, uh, that was that was released for the release of the film in many territories. There was oh, a big wow. release of that uh, in New York when the film was released, and that was a that was kind of a trip too because it was actual virtual reality connected to the themes of the film. And you know, one of the things we did in the film is we used actual virtual technology that existed at that time. Uh, yeah. in order to portray the gear, you know. There was some gear that was designed by Alex McDowell, who was the production designer, and of course went on to be the production designer of Minority Report, many of uh, Zack Snyder's films, uh, Watchmen. So, uh, Lawman was Alex's first film. Wow. First wow. Dude, and, and Watchmen so is really sick. really lucky with yeah. Alex. I mean, Alex is a yeah. genius. And, uh, and, you know, because of all these things, my life now is actually I'm living inside the movie I made 30 years ago. It's, <laughs> That's... Very, it's a very str interesting, strange time for me because it's, it's now more caught up to what that film was about. Even some of the, you know, the thematic conceits of the film are, are more apropos now than they ever were. So it's a kind of trippy thing, I'll tell you. <laughs> Oh my god! Very, wow, very interesting. I can I can't wait to get to this. Like, yeah. there's so much I want to get. Okay, so I think where we should probably start is like, I, I'm kind of curious, Brett. Like, obviously, like th for the record, everybody, I don't know if everybody knows this, but The Lawnmower Man's not the only VR related movie that you've made. You also made a movie called Virtuosity with Denzel right. Washington and Russell Crowe that came out in 1995, and that had this right. theme of virtual reality as well. And um, you know, to, to put it briefly, uh, there's an, an, an evil AI that escapes VR and comes into the real world. And you know, again, a, a film that is more apropos to the moment we're in now with AI. I mean, it was like one of the first AI avatars coming out into the real world ideas, you know, and uh, and what Russell played, which was, you know, I think it's 237 serial killers uh, combined together uh, in one AI. Yeah. That kind of distills the whole AI question down to a pretty interesting uh, sort of, you know, pinpoint. And, uh, you know, I, I look back at that film now and I'm going, wow, this could be made right now. 
and yeah. it would actually be very apropos. It's kind of, again, very interesting, sort of the, the time lag that happens with storytelling into the reality. You know, it's uh, it's it's an interesting thing to experience totally. in one's life. And yeah. for the record, that scene when, like, Russell Crowe is, like, born in the real world is wild. <laughs> very Cronenberg-influenced. Really I mean, you know, my, my influences are Kubrick, Cronenberg, which is a kind of strange combination. Um, but... Uh, and, and then the fact that Lowerman is called a sci-fi horror film, it really isn't much of a horror film. Thank you. You know, it really isn't. I, I don't call it a sci-fi horror film, and many, yeah. many have, so I, I go with that. It really is a sci-fi film. I mean, that's, that's what it is. But because it was based, quote-unquote, on a Stephen King short story, it had to be marketed as a horror, sci-fi horror film. Now, you know, Stephen King does have a few sci-fi horror things that he's done, especially under Richard Bachman and other, you know, uh, other areas, but not that many, you know, and uh, uh, so I, I even took some of the King's canon, like the shop, you know, the shop is part of uh, Lawman, which I just stole literally from Firestarter, um, you know, to, be, to try to like put a little more Stephen Kingishness into the story, because I wanted to make a movie about virtual reality, goddammit. Right. And, <laughs> and so no matter what, I was going to fashion this thing about virtual reality that no one had ever heard of before around this fact that I had a, a, a company that had the rights to a Stephen King short story. Again, that mashup never happened in today's independent film world. You wouldn't be able to, you know, someone coming along going, yeah, I'm going to change Stephen King's thing completely 100 uh, degrees. <laughs> and people go, oh, sure, why not? Go for it. No way would that happen. Um, you know, and there's there's been controversy that's happened from the marketing of the film. Stephen King won, uh, but he was always, just to, uh, you know, put a point in this, he was always very supportive of me and of the film in actuality. He was not supportive of the producers and how they marketed it. He was very supportive of the film. As a matter of fact, one Sunday afternoon after I had delivered the answer print of Lawnmower Man, I get a phone call, ring, hi, Brett, Steve King here. I'm like, come on, Randy. The, the, you know, this, <laughs> no, no, this is Steve King. I'm calling from Bangor, Maine. I'm about to see your film in the theater here. They sent me a print, and uh, my family and I are going to watch it. I'm going to call you right after to let you know what I think. Wow. Oh, cool. That was the longest hour, the two hours of your life. Two hours of my life <laughs> you know, ensued where I'm like sweating, just sweating through my clothes. You know, just horrifying. He calls back and he was like, wow, really interesting film. My kids loved it. I'm going to sue the shit out of your uh, producers because the way they're marketing it, it has very little to do with my short story, but I'm, I really, and he actually in the, in the uh, trades and in the press, he again supported the film, but, but went against the way they marketed it. It became an extremely uh, precedent setting case in Hollywood uh, legal uh, precedent, because before that you could take an idea and if you bought the rights to it, could do whatever the frick you wanted to right. It, right this was the one time where the judge and and i don't think it was i think it was a judge case really sided with stephen king saying no they can't just completely change it and still market it as you so that and I, by the way i agree with that you know mm -hmm. in fact i told the producers before this happened now i was a second time director i had no power you know, I just made the movie, right? <laughs> but um, 
told them if I was Stephen King, I would be upset yeah. if you're saying because in the trailer it was like from the mind of Stephen King, <laughs> <laughs> <was> like, virtual reality. <laughs> so, so like, Stephen King's original story is not related to VR at all. Oh, not even a little bit. Wow. So where's the overlap? It is a truly one of the most radical adaptations ever done, I think, because, uh, you know, you might look at Cronenberg's radical adaptation of Naked Lunch. That's an example of a radical adaptation. Um, Amazing movie, by the way. Amazing yes, movie. Yes, I agree. Yeah. I agree. And I love the, he actually got the vibe and quality of Burroughs' prose in the cinematic expression, as opposed to being slavish to the quote unquote plot, which was really stream of consciousness. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think he, he made the right choice. And, you know, in the context of Lomberman, there was one scene in the film that is the short story. It's literally the same dialogue from the short story. It's where a guy gets chased by a telekinetically controlled lawnmower, by this supernatural being called mm -hmm. the lawnmower man. And because he's an abusive father, he gets mowed down, and the cops the next day are talking about that. And that dialogue with Pierce Brosnan's character is directly from the short story, which is a seven-page short story, by the way. Okay. So, so when I first got this short story, like, okay, it's a seven-page short story about a guy being tele uh, you know, chased by a lawnmower. Not sure I could make this into a feature film, but I do have this other idea. And then I made this 20-minute educational piece for the producers about virtual reality technology. Again, they must have been hypnotized or something because they said yes. <laughs> I have no idea why, but it's, uh, that's the only reason that the film happened. Uh, Bob Pringle and Stephen Lane and Edward Simons, these producers took a, took a flyer on my just completely kind of unique vision and said, yeah, we'll ignore Stephen King. Let's go with what Brett says. That would never happen. Wow. <laughs> it's like, I know. Crazy. <laughs> wow. Crazy story. That is super, super crazy. Yeah, that's wild. You know, because uh, like Stephen I remember, King, Schmeeb and Schming. Right. Yeah. Well, and it's like, you know, <laughs> if you watch the movie, The Lawnmower Man, you can like understand why it's called The Lawnmower Man, right? But like mm -hmm. at first glance, like at first glance, it like I was wondering like wh how, what? Like, okay, exactly. how does this image equate The Lawnmower Man? Yeah, yeah. So anyway, that explains a lot. That the word lawnmower is associated with VR because of this is one of the strange ironies of my life. I mean, I was like, <laughs> ah! <laughs> yeah. I had to call it the lawnmower man. I had to. Yeah. Because that was the short story, right? I wasn't enamored of the name. Now, the truth is now I kind of love it because it's so sideways to the concept. Mm -hmm. it makes it unique, you know? Instead of, it was, you know, if it had been called Cyber God, it wouldn't be as cool today as it is. I totally agree. What it is now. Yeah. I totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. It, it really has this kind of like, I don't know, this like charm, I guess. Like there's like something uh, yeah, about exactly. it. Exactly. Some, some weird charm somehow. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And I mean, this and Virtuosity both are almost like, you could almost use these as like, like, period pieces or something for the 90s like they are so quintessentially 90s movies mm -hmm. it's like glorious <laughs> yes, yeah no that it is a quintessential 90s film i totally agree with that on many many levels yeah. uh, you know and uh some aspects of it i mean it is an extremely like 
white cis male uh, sci-fi movie, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. um, and, I, and I cop to that now. I mean, you know, again, I was a younger filmmaker. It was a different time, everybody. Yeah. You know, but, uh, uh, you know, a kind of interesting story to that was the one test screening New Line Cinema did for the film was a test screening, and they gave me the address to this, this theater. They only had budget for one test screening. Again, this was a low-budget genre film that they were going to just dump on, on video. That's what it was, they thought. Right? Did a test screening in Compton, literally date night in wow. Compton. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Any people of color in the lawnmower man. Okay. That's, uh-huh. Again, I'm not proud of that at all. But as I'm driving up to this Compton theater with everyone in line about to, I realize I'm in deep shit. <laughs> <laughs> because it wasn't made for this audience. Uh, and I went in and, and was there with the audience. Now the audience enjoyed a lot of a lot of it. But at the end, when they got to say, to write down their comments, it got very low marks mm. uh, because it just was, you know, people were kind of like, why am I watching this movie, right? Mm. And so they were going to dump it on video. It was literally that night suicidal. My, myself and my partner, Jamil Everett, who had produced it and written it with me, uh, who was also my first wife, she and I were going to drive our or Pathfinder off a cliff, literally. Wow. I mean, it was it was crazy. Then I, I said, no, I'm going to go back to them. And I, I begged them. I said, listen, open this up in four markets theatrically. Just see how it does. Don't spend any, don't spend a lot of media money. See, I know it can get, catch on. And we, we create a really great trailer. And that trailer really got the engine going. And then on, in the four markets, by the way, Phoenix, Arizona was one of those markets. Hey! Yeah, you're from Phoenix. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and it did very, very well with no advertising. It just hit. And then they released it wide all, eventually around the world. And it was the number one independent film that year theatrically. So it was a, a real journey. And this is, I'm saying this for you know, people that are going into filmmaking or the, you know, the creation of content. The journey of content is a very interesting one. The journey of cinema is a very interesting one. You have to be ready for all the buffeting of winds because there was, you know, it's not like we made that film and suddenly it was a hit film. It went through all of these sort of trials and tribulations and then latched onto the audience and never let go. Yeah, you have to feel suicidal first before you you earn exactly. the success. <laughs> if you're not getting to suicidal, you're not going far enough. <laughs> Is it okay to be joking about this? Yeah, I don't probably know. not. But, not, I know. No, but say, by the way, I got we're not you. talking about real suicidal. We're talking about the yeah. suicidal thoughts of a young filmmaker not having a hit movie. Right. You know? it's, like yeah. it's, it's, it's very privileged, entitled suicidal thoughts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Actuality. We would never endorse suicide in any way shape or form okay right, right. i'm right. glad we cleared right. that up but yes um so skiva yes how you doing you doing all right i'm doing great yeah. i'm doing great i have so many things in my brain that i, I kind of want to know about and i you know maybe maybe we can maybe we can rewind a little bit right that's that's what i was getting ready to do yeah. i just wanted to make sure that like you were okay yeah. oh that. absolutely absolutely cool. so i'm curious brett because 
you know, like I said earlier, you've made two like major motion picture films. They both have this tie into virtual reality. Um, what for you happened first? Did the interest in VR happen first or were you becoming a filmmaker first? And then how did the overlap happen? First of all, those two films are just two films of a dozen feature films I've made. Fair enough. Um, there's, there's, there's all kinds of other ones. And, and my work in IMAX 3D, which also were hit films. And so there's a lot of other areas for me. But obviously, VR is a very important one for me. And, and it's actually more related to what I'm doing now in my life. So those films are, are more connected to what I'm focused on now. But uh, uh and what's, what's, I'm sorry, what's the question? Oh, so the question think, is, what happened first, VR or filmmaking? VR, absolutely. I mean, look, VR goes back uh, into this, you know, the 70s, you know, with, with the Super Cockpit Project. People like Tom Furness was one of the true godfathers of VR from the military standpoint. He was doing a lot of work in the DOD and the Air Force uh, and into the 80s. And then toward the end of the 80s, this guy named Jaron Lanier actually coined the term virtual reality. Jaron coined that term. And I went to this party in 89 called the Cyberthon. It was in the market district, uh, mission district of uh, San Francisco. And San Francisco was a much funkier place than it is now today uh, in terms of was uh, there was more of an artistic, you could live there uh, on a starving artist budget, whereas you can't do that anymore. But uh, the, the Cyberthon was a 24-hour event where you're supposed to go in and for 24 hours try all this new technology. And Jaron Lanier had his own little tent, his like little booth there. It was in this big warehouse, and you went through all these different like hanging canvases, and then there people have cubicles. And uh, Jaron had his company VPL there showing off his he called the first consumer-level virtual reality headset. I put it on and literally instantly said, i got to make a movie about this. Wow. That's wow, that's so cool. Jaron then took me through his philosophy about virtual reality, all of his. So Jaron was really, really instrumental uh, in you know introducing me to VR. What, more, what better person? Right. Definitely at the core. And he also, you know, from the themes and, and you know, he's an amazingly uh, intelligent, astute person. And uh, I actually, the, the, the Pierce Brosnan character in Lawnmower Man is based on Jaron Lanier. Now, anyone who knows who Jaron Lanier is from a physical level and who Pierce Brosnan is, that's <laughs> very unique casting. Um, and actually, that's a joke that Jaron and I, I said, yeah, I got Pierce Brosnan to play in the movie, Jaron, and he laughs. <laughs> yeah, Jaron, for the record, people, you've probably seen him if you don't recognize him by name. The dude has, like, the longest, most crazy, awesome dreadlocks you've ever seen. Like, yes. dre dreadlocks that, like, go down to the floor. And he yeah. has spoken about VR at so many things over the years. So um, I would be surprised if people wouldn't recognize he's, he's a photo a genius. Look, Jaron is a genius. He's written some great books recently. Recently, he's become a total, for lack of a better term, Luddite in the sense that he's saying we need to turn off the internet and turn off all these things. <laughs> so he's come full circle wow. in his journey. And I understand that, to tell you the truth. I mean, you know, for me, I told cautionary tales about virtual reality. That's what I, I mean. Both my films, Lawman and, and, and Virtuosity, were truly cautionary tales. They weren't designed to like, hey, this is the greatest thing since sliced bread. Everybody do it. 
wasn't like that, although it did have somewhat of that effect. Right. Uh, so, yeah. you know, beware of telling cautionary tales, everyone. Yeah, I mean, we do True. both here on Between Realities. Like, obviously, yeah. we are huge VR fans. You know, we, like you, put a headset on, and then our lives changed instantaneously. Um, but we also yes, yes. understand the power of this tech and what is going to happen as other technologies integrate into it. And we're always like, oh, everybody, like... Can we pump the brakes and like make sure that like we're all thinking about like the yeah. like ethical concerns about what this tech is going to do to it's our lives? It's definitely really really important to look at it from all angles. To look at anything from all angles because it doesn't mean it's bad. It just means oh. we have to make sure to take care of certain things right. and look at certain things and regulate certain things as it's happening instead of um, blissfully skipping through the roses. Right. I, I couldn't agree more. As a matter of fact, those themes are the main themes I was exploring in those stories that I was telling in those films. Because of that, and we don't have to get into this deeply right now, but because of that, what I'm doing now with my new company, uh, Ubiquity VX, which is focused on health and wellness with VR, is really about me trying to do something with this technology I'm associated with, but I've been part of telling a story about and sort of helping shape the mythopoetic reality around it to be something positive to actually help make people feel better. Yeah. And I think that it has a tremendous power for that, uh, you know, and it's going to be used for all kinds of different things, both nefarious and positive. Uh, but I think, you know, for me at this point, that's what I want to lean into. I want to lean into the use of VR for good. Amen. That's amazing. That's amazing. One of the first professional things I ever did with VR as well was, was uh, the company that used to be called VR Health. Uh, which I think is now yeah. XR Health, which, you know, does uh, yeah, yeah uh, physical therapy with virtual reality. And I thought it was just absolutely amazing using this tech. You know, it's not just for gamers. We talk about that all the time. Games is a wonderful place for this for this tech yeah. to thrive. But it does so many things from education to medical to to training to it's like the possibilities are endless. So um, I love to hear that uh, we have gone from, you know, running people over with with lawnmowers to helping people um with the with the power of vr it's been a strange and, <laughs> and wild what a strange trip it's been let's put it that way um you know one of the, you know and for me one of the main two things i wanted to focus on in my work in actual virtual experience that's what i call it vx virtual experience um is not just using it for good for helping people will feel better for health and wellness, but also to make truly democratized in how people can access it. In that context, what my company Ubiquity VX is working with, they're working with another company that's our foundational platform called the Ethereal Engine, run by Liam Brogia. I think you know I do. Liam Harry. Uh, and, uh, mm -hmm. and, uh, it's, and, and what we're able to do is deliver kinds of therapies that have been delivered by some other companies along the way, but with much more complexity, we're able to deliver it in the browser with no special gear, with just a link. And for me, the entire thing that's kept virtual reality from being mass accessibly you know, absorbed by culture has been this friction point. Even having to download a, an app and installing it and all the things that go around usually making VR work has been a real, you know, a real barrier. And so with Ethereal Engine, we're pushing past that barrier. And we're doing nice. it initially with Ubiquity VX in the healthcare, health and wellness area, but it relates to every area of sort of virtual experience in the metaverse. 
I love it. And Amazing. you know, like these kinds of applications too, like this, like enterprise training, stuff like that. Like, I think these are where people can clearly see the most value for this type of technology and these types of investments. Um, obviously, like you said, like it's great for games, but like companies aren't investing in VR so their employees can game, you know, like yeah. they need to have some kind of way to like really make an impact. And I think that a lot of people understand that VR is capable of being leveraged to help people with all kinds of stuff, physical health, mental and emotional health, you know, all that. But I still feel like there's quite a bit of like friction there, you know, like I think there are a lot of people who resist the tech and like maybe aren't like, I don't know, excited, I guess, to like adopt it. And I'm wondering like from where you're sitting, what are like some of the biggest hurdles that we need to get past for the level of adoption that we're looking for? This is exactly what I'm addressing and exactly what Ethereal Engine is addressing. It's simplicity, everyone. It, look, it took us 20 years to train the majority of people that have computers to click on a link. Just to click on a link. That's 20 <laughs> years of training. Okay, So we have to be more aware. The thing that I've seen in the, in the virtual industry is a blind spot this amazing thing they can deliver with virtual reality on many levels for many use cases. And when people try it, it changes their lives or they have the epiphany. Then actually delivering it to a mass market, don't think about that. They think, oh, the tech will just get there. No, you have to focus the tech to be simple enough to have access enough, start even without headsets, to be able to experience an immersive virtual environment just on laptops, tablets, and your phone. And then that leads to greater mass adoption. You have to allow that to be a first step. And so that's why everything we're doing with Ubiquity VX is designed to be delivered in the web. Everyone knows how to use the web, the browser, delivering very sophisticated physical therapy solutions. That's way I can't talk about a lot of the secret sauce right now because we're still in stealth mode in a lot of our technology. If you want to check out what this platform can do from, uh, you know, the basis of WebXR browser-based technology, check out EtherealEngine.io. Ethereal Engine is the base level, then Ubiquity.com, UbiquityVX.com. That's what we're focused on from the standpoint of delivering health and wellness solutions. Nice. Through this platform. And and look, my, my goal with this is to not only be able to provide things that help people and help people feel better, but also to provide virtual experience to everyone so that it can become a mass accessible idea. Because as soon as people actually experience immersion, even without headsets, but at a level of immersion, a level of agency within the context of having an avatar in a navigable world just on your flat screen, right there is a huge cognitive leap that needs to happen at a more mass accessible level. And that democratization, which is part and parcel of the core philosophy of the tools I'm using and being and, and, and sort of helping to develop through these companies, that is the core we need to focus on. Simplicity. We've got to be getting then close though, right? We're able to actually get people into it. We've got to be getting close though, right, Brett? Like I feel like everybody has a phone. I feel like everybody mm -hmm. knows the internet, you know? Like it's it is happening now. In 2024 is a major transition year. And, and it literally is going to be a pivot year into the delivery of immersion becoming much more democratized and much simpler. 
then the devices are following on right right on that wave. And more and more immersive devices, where I'm you know working with all of them, of course, uh, you know, are going to get better and better and better. Uh, have you guys been able to try the uh, Meta Three yet? Not yet. No, hopefully in a couple of weeks here, um, you know, we have uh, Meta Connect coming up in uh, on the twenty sixth. Yeah, I will be there. See you there. Oh, sweet! All right, see you there. Well, if yeah. it, that see that seals it right yes. there. You know what I mean? Like I was like going back and forth. I'm like, oh, am I gonna go? Because I didn't get the invite, you know. Yeah. So I'm gonna be like a like you know, it's like latching on wherever they'll accept me, you know, <laughs> kind of thing. Uh, but screw it, I'll come. Yeah. That's that's the tech world, man. It's just they, they like to do that. You yeah. Know, it's, it's... Yeah. Skiva Skiva put it perfectly earlier when he was talking about it. He, what did you say? He said it was like a like a high school birthday party or something. Uh, it's it's like when you were in high school and you go into gym class and they and they line everyone up and they're picking people and you're like, oh, <laughs> yeah. they're not going to pick me to go. Oh, yeah. Nobody likes me, right? And they're just kind of feeling everyone. They're kind of making a lot of the VR community over at Meta right now feel a little bit excluded because it's they're handpicking. Yeah. You know, you and you can come, but you can't come. You know, big big names in, in content creation like Thrill Seeker and Nathan yeah, or developers aren't even or or huge developers aren't aren't getting invites to this thing. So it's a little weird, and it kind of it takes weird. yeah it takes the word connect and kind of disconnects. The weirdness of yeah. meta because that's its own podcast. This is true. Yeah, this is <laughs> yeah, true. We, we could we could talk about that for hours. Uh, a couple of yeah. quick super sure. chats. Uh, all right, I'm going to do this. We got 199 from Snowtoad that hey. came earlier. Thanks, dude. Uh, classy Grandma dropped 10 bucks on us earlier, and she said, Brett, sir, the movie left me with the wowest feeling that has not left me since I saw it, but I'm older than most oh. of these folks. <laughs> <laughs> classy Grandma is our resident grandma. Yes, she is. She's, she's fantastic. Amazing. Wonderful uh, Also, Rezzle VR dropping 20 bucks, saying for the two VR fans on the screen, I think he's talking about us. Uh, hey. Thanks, dude. And then Classy again with five bucks saying, Brett, I love you, man. And staying sane uh, with this idea and realizing that it's possible to move too fast no matter how cool. Good job, Classy Grandma. Thank you, Classy Grandma. You're very nice. Um, all right, so, oh, hey, GT, good to see you there. Um, who else we got? Arcanians up in the house. Hey, what's up, guys? Techno Glitch. Hello, hello. Uh, Substaticus flew in here. Rezzle, of course, like we just mentioned. Tribe Grey Wolf dropping in and being a part of the conversation. Tribe, what's up? Eric man? from Q2C VR. Hey, Eric, Cruise how's it through going? here. Can see VR. I think you talk, called yep. him out earlier. Yep. Um, all of you guys, we love you. Um, all right, so Brett is... So this all sounds to me like the path like that you just unfolded in front of me. It's like, hey, this is the year this stuff is like starting to take on. Like, Do you think yes. that... VR is inevitable because a lot of people are like, VR is not going to make it. It's dead. It's this, it's that. Like, is it inevitable? Those are the people that when the internal combustion came along, were saying, it's not going to happen. We're going to go by horse and buggy because it's elegant and it's wonderful. I mean, <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's literally ridiculous to think that it's not happening. We are already in a digital twin immersive world the devices we have. We already are in VR with training wheels, and those training wheels are going to be dissolving away very soon. And that's just the reality. It's a 3,000-foot tsunami coming at us, and we have to build the surfboard for our own consciousness, for our own operability, for our own you know, connection to what is human interaction, human intimacy. These are the things we need to be focused on. Of course, very focused on that as a storyteller. Everything I do comes from me being a storyteller. But those themes are what we should really be focused on because this is happening. Trying to say, oh, it's not going to happen. All oh, those clunky boxes on your head. Of course, we're not going to have clunky boxes on our head. 
it's just like saying we're going to be, you know, cranking our engine mm -hmm. in the front of a Model A, you know, for the rest of time. And it's just ridiculous. And we are at a moment of acceleration in this, which is going to be really mind spinning. It really is. And we're at that inflection point. That inflection point, it's important for us to take our passion for this medium and lean into the botanic responsibility of using it for good. And, and making sure it's available and democratized for everyone. That's the other thing. It can't be this elitist tech bro thing. It's, if it's that, we lose. We literally lose the whole ball game. So we've really got to focus right now on that kind of pivot point, making sure that we lean into the idea of utilizing this for the positive nature of humanity its evolution of interaction never stops. The evolution of human interaction has never stopped. It's not going to stop now. These technologies are not artificial. They're coming from us. We're part of the natural world. The technology is part of the natural world. Virtual experience is part of the natural world. The idea of thinking it's outside of us and unnatural, it didn't, it didn't drop from outer space. You know, and, and sit there glowing in a, in a meteor. No, we've created it as part of our own beings, as part of the organism that we are as a group species and also as individuals. So activating the genius of the hive mind, in the context of this moment is the critical point. That's the critical story. Of course, story and narrative are the first technologies. We must really be aware of that right now because more important than ever. And now we're going to mention this term AI, which of course is part of what virtual experience is all going to be about. And that makes the stakes even higher. It's even higher. But the idea that AI is not going to happen, and we can get into this in relation to the actors, into the strikes and all that, is again ridiculous. It's like tech, we don't go backwards in technology. It doesn't happen. You know, once we knew that we could fly, flying has become a thing we do better and better and better and better all the time. So you know, some of the stylings of aviation put to the side. Right. <laughs> aviation used to be a more elegant experience, let's put it that way. But <laughs> other than that, technology has still continued to move forward. Uh, and so it's a really important moment for us to grab that responsibility as creators, as enthusiasts, as fans, and then finally as users, as participants in the virtual world. So we imbue the virtual world with the beauty of the natural world and the beauty of an even deeper level of human interaction. Now, that all sounds like it could be naive. I choose to be naive in this area because I believe we have to have optimistic ideas about what we want to create because the other stuff is going to happen. Dude, you are preaching so hard right now. Like, I'm like breaking my fingers, snapping over here. Like, <laughs> I'm is, trying not to cry. That was beautiful. You are hitting the nail so hard on the head. It's it's not even funny, man. Yeah. Um, so like, so it, from, from where you're sitting, like what is the biggest threat to this? Like, what is the thing that like, if we aren't able to identify and find a solution for that like could potentially be our downfall? Cause we all understand that there's significant potential in this technology integrating into our lives to do harm. And a lot of people are scared of this kind of stuff. So yep. what, what, from, what from where you're sitting is like the thing that we need to get in front of? Leadism and lack of inclusion is the big threat. Yeah. 
because technology is very easy wall off on many, many different levels. And that, yes, we are, we, are we referencing meta there a little bit? Yes, we are. Um, there's, we need to have the walled gardens idea dissolve away. We need to have true open source philosophy across the board, including behaviorally. And if we don't have full inclusion, full democratization, not elitist bubbles of virtual worlds, and this can really do some incredible good. If it, if it turns into bubbles of elitist experience, it's, not, it's just gonna be more of the bad same that we've had in the idea of the better than. Groups having access, others not having access. That is not gonna work with this because it's too fundamental to human interaction. And so we have to have a story. We have to tell the story and create the story of it becoming fully inclusive. That to me, is the most important thing. So let me ask you this: as an artist, like, do you think that creators have a responsibility to build accessibility and inclusion into their experiences, or do you think that that potentially stifles artistic creative expression? No, it's a it's a balance beam we have to walk on. I believe that we should have that at the core, uh, that there is a responsibility, again, a platonic responsibility that needs to be taken to make things uh, truly inclusive and, and democratized. And there's a, you know, there's a philosophical group mind aspect to that that's really important in the tech movement. I wanna support that aspect because there's, there's a tie there that can rise all boats if we, if we allow it to rise. Um, but you have to walk a balance beam of, Operability, functionality, true innovation that actually creates something of value. We do live in a capitalistic world. Um, you know, I, I, I could be incredibly, you know, uh, incredibly, you know, reminiscent of, of another era of capitalism <laughs> where it was, there was more innovation. Uh, without some of the codified aspects that now exist, but it's the reality we're in. So we have to work in the context of that overarching uh, system and allow this to become truly inclusive, not too elitist and open to all. And I think that, you know, if we keep it simple like that, and the narrative we tell and live and generate, and we have a shot at doing something really amazing with the digital twin, with the virtual world writ large, idea of virtual experience writ large. So, so many technology have created a virtual experience. You, you, know, you could say getting in a plane and going from A to B is a virtual experience. I mean, there's so many ways to codify something that wasn't usual in human experience that then became usual in human experience. Immersion and virtual experience are going to become very usual generationally very soon. Like the, the generations coming in right now are going to be native virtual. Right. And that That's insane. Is the way it is. You know? Yeah, that my, is so insane. My nine year old, I have a nine year old daughter who has grown up 
almost her whole life with virtual reality. So this is absolutely a generational thing. She's not going to, she, she doesn't expect this technology to go away. This is, this is in her life forever. You know what I mean? She's had so many amazing experiences and so many bonding chances and so many, so many th amazing things that have happened to her in her childhood because of VR already. And this is, um, she is, this is baked in now to her and a lot of this generation growing up. So I, I feel what you're saying there. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, it, it's, it's true. You know, look, there's a lot of ways to look at this and get scared, scared about what it can do to the kids, get scared about what AI can do to the kids. These are knee jerk fear reactions, which I understand. I'm not even judging them. I have those reactions myself. We have to think and, and, and innovate past that fear reaction. We have to think about making these things part of our human superpowers as a part of, as opposed to something that's decimating humanity, you know? And every technology has the ability to decimate humanity or support it. And it usually does both. And it does both. Yes. The internet yep. is it's incredible. Be, I mean, look, we live, in, we live in a mixed world. It's, the human mess is very interesting. It's gonna always be messy. If we can lean into the, the positive uses in a way that becomes more and more part of the zeitgeist, then we win. And I think that that's the, that's the mission right now. That's my, definitely my mission. I can say that for sure. That's glorious. 415 Canadian from Substatica, Super Chat. He says, this is the price of my Lawnmower Man ticket in 1992. Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> Which at that point was about five bucks. I know. <laughs> that is amazing. So, you know, 1992, like that is 30, 30 years? 30 years 31. ago? 31 years. years ago. Wow. That's insane. Wow. I'm wondering because like, you know, I haven't been in, in VR for 30 years. I'm 36. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's it's insane to me. Like I'm wondering, like, has this like when you were making the lawnmower man and you're seeing all these futuristic technologies that you're that you're like basically convincing everybody exist, like how long did you think it was gonna take for us to get where we are? Like I have to imagine you <laughs> thought we'd get here sooner. Oh, I did. Look, at the very beginning of the lawnmower man, there's a scroll that says by the turn of the millennium. Yeah, that's right. Technology called virtual reality will be prevalent. Didn't quite happen that fast. Okay? <laughs> uh, you know, I was saying that that stuff before there was broadband, for God's sake. You know, uh, you know there was barely email. <laughs> I was, you know, look, my, my heroes, H.G. Wells, Jules Verne, of course, all the great science fiction writers like Arthur C. Clarke and Isaac Asimov and many, many, many others all were prognosticators. They all were prescient. And, you know, my biggest influence as a filmmaker is when I was seven years old, I went and saw 2001 A Space Odyssey. Nice. Stanley Kubrick. And of course, Arthur C. Clarke developed that project with him. And the thing that was hit me so strongly as, as a young person watching that film is the film felt it was literally in the future. It was like a virtual reality portal into the future. Now, turned out it wasn't the future of 2001, was it, you know, of that year, it was a future that exists, is now starting to do exist. It felt real and Kubrick and Clark were so focused on making the technology feel real. That's why I made Lawnmower Man the way I did. Create it to be as real as possible with the technology, even though there were fanciful flights of, you know, 
phantasmagorical uh, reality connected to that in the context of the, of the narrative. The tech was much more real than is usual in science fiction films. Yeah. And that is directly from the influence of Stanley Kubrick and Arthur C. Clarke. That's amazing. Wow. That's beautiful. You know, back in back in ninety two, uh, you know, just just to give some context here, the the um, consoles for video games that were out were were the Super Nintendo, the Sega Genesis. We didn't have full immersive three D graphics like we have right now, oh, no. right? It was very much eight bit. It was uh, it, it just wasn't where we are. You know, right now I can pop open Blender and create something in three D. You know, for free. But back then it, it wasn't like that. It took a very long time to create three D graphics, and it took a long time to render them out. Uh, what oh, were yeah. <laughs> what? So you were kind of the pioneer in some of those three D graphics. Some of some of the stuff that captured my imagination, the Lawnmower Man, what, what, were those three D graphics. A lot of it was go- a lot of it was going on. So there was a lot of great work being done by many groups at that same time. Of course, ILM and what they were doing, you know, at that time, because uh, T2 came out in 92 as well. Mm-hmm. But that was at the high end of budgets. The thing I was doing that was revolutionary was I was saying, screw that. I don't need a high budget. I can do this. And it's supposed to be technology I'm able to use to create something fantastical without having a high budget. Now, of course, that's antithetical to most visual effects thinking. Yeah. I Look, I, didn't, I just didn't want to be bound by that. So I went out and found incredibly talented people working in computer graphics, a couple different companies, Chaos Images in San Francisco and Angel Studios in San Diego, who were doing you know, Mexican tire commercials and uh, the Dianetics commercial where the, the, the digital lava came out of the top. And, and I'm like, if we could take this aesthetic, this, this, this you know, cyber aesthetic to a bit more reality, it would really be perfect for this movie. And then I had a very paltry budget. And I said, guys, you, you in? And they, they were, both those companies were, and there were many others, Homer and Associates, uh, Michael Gosney's group, uh, at that time, Verbum. I mean, there was it, it was all these sort of revolutionary people on the edges of CGI. I was trying to prove you don't need to go to just ILM because if you, if you don't have the budget, you're not going to be able to get them to do it. And so it really shifted the perception of doing digital visual effects in film. And then when by the time I got to uh, uh, Virtuosity in 94, 95, we were using Pentium 90s with 3D Studio Max wow. to do most <laughs> of the 3D graphics on a giant studio picture, which was which was Virtuosity for Paramount. Wow. And that was really revolutionary. That was like, matter of fact, CGI, uh, Silicon Graphics probably had an assassin out for me because <laughs> I was literally killing uh, CGI, you know, the, the SGI box necessity saying, ah, do it on consumer computers. And by the way, we're going to get this entirely new audience, uh, artist base, our cyberpunk artists working in the context of these more democratized tools. And I was able to get an aesthetic that was unique because I was going to different artists than the big effects companies. So all of that was really the, where the revolution was. Technology was moving along, but process experimentation was the thing that I was most interested in. And by the way, still am. That's really where I think the rubber meets the road. Nice. Nice. 
Wow. That's wild. Cause you know, you're right. The, you know, Terminator two came out that year. It was another big movie for, uh, for me back then. I really, really liked the movie and it dealt very much with, you know, artificial intelligence and the future of humanity. And just like the lawnmower man did. Um, and it really showed, um, a lot of where, you know, technology can go wrong and when also where it can go right. So, uh, you know, I kind of want to, in terms of budgets, T2, 125 million, lawnmower man, 5 million. That is wow. so crazy. I'll, I'll never forget, guys. We did wow. this. We did this test. Brought because we were doing this thing called the Gemini process, which is a way of taking the computer graphics that were done at NTSC resolution, by, by the way, and because that's all we could afford, and put it onto film with this thing called the Gemini process at Pacific Title, and we then cut those effects in the film and just into a couple reels and brought some teenage audiences from the, you know, from the Hollywood area, just into the, uh, uh, into the little screening room to look at these effects. And they all said, oh, it looks like T2. <laughs> of course it wasn't, it were actually a different aesthetic, but for that audience, they just were as blown away by that as they were by effects in a $125 wow. million dollar film. So it was, that was an epiphany moment for me. Because if you utilize the effect technology in a way that services the uh, aesthetic, the cyber aesthetic that you're playing with, and that's, by the way, one of the things I think that's most, uh, for me, most interesting about Lawnmower Man, is that it celebrates a cyber aesthetic. It wasn't trying to be photorealistic. It was trying to do something that was more fanciful or imaginative than just photorealism. And that doesn't often happen. It doesn't often be, it's, things are not often celebrated that way. So many things are, are focused on make it look real, make it look real, make yeah. it look real. Well, there's other aesthetics besides real that are just as interesting. Yeah, VR developers know that, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> we get all kinds yeah, of that. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, were you so like, uh, what, what was your reaction when you saw these graphics coming out? Because, like we've been saying, this oh was God. very cutting edge. So, like, you must have been losing your mind when you saw what you had. It was literally, it was blowing my mind. I mean, I was helping design them. I was very, you know, both Jamil and I were actually the effects supervisors on our own film. I actually got that credit in the film because no one else was effects supervising. So I did know what I was shooting for. When I saw the level of execution, like of Cyber Job by Angel Studios, I was like, oh my God, guys, you've done something no one's ever done. That's a, that's a virtual human. That is some, and it's meant to be a virtual human in virtual reality in the story. And that was really the first time that was done in that way, in that context. It holds up. So I got, I was getting so excited by, by my movie, I'll tell you, it was incredible. <laughs> and, and then when we cut it all together, right at the very end, the producers had not seen any of the effects cut in. Oh, we had wow. a press screening. We had a press screening over here in Santa Monica. I'll never forget it. They were the producers were seeing it for the first time, and they literally their jaws were on the ground. They were <laughs> like, "We had no idea this movie was this cool." <laughs> and then the rest was history from there. That's so rad. There's a great question from Duggars K in the chat that I want to pull in. And he said, there is some great tech and peripherals included in the Lawnmower Man, but were there any that you had intended to use that you weren't able to or that didn't make the cut? Look, 
we, we were a low budget film. Everything anyone would get us, we put it in the frame. Nice. <laughs> yeah, I used everything I was given. There's a the thing, the Flogiston chair, you know, which is mm -hmm. a, supposed to be a chair where you experience virtual reality. We use that. Uh, 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 Jaron gave us a bunch of stuff from VPL. Their headsets that Pierce Brosnan uses in the film. One's in the big uh, cyber lab. Uh, that's where, you know, with the with big gyrospheres, those were all designed by, uh, by Alex McDowell and his team. And that was the future thinking there. Nice. That was, and by the way, so many things in the world follow along with those designs. Now it's, it's, it's kind of mind blowing. You know, it's, it's something that has an effect that lasts for quite a while. That's beautiful. And here's another question out of chat that I think you're really going to like, Brett, from our homie Paradise Decay. And he said, hey, can you ask Brett how come no one's made a full-length feature film that's in VR that you have to be inside to experience? Mm. It's not true. I have shot one. Um, I haven't fully gone through post. Uh, it's called Hollywood Rooftop. And not only did I shoot it all in VR, I shot it in both mediums. I shot a full 360 VR film that's that's character driven, dialogue driven, ensemble driven, in a 360 uh, kind of stylized theatrical uh, set environment with projection dome for the sky and a cycloramic video projection for the for the uh, uh, the landscape. And uh, we shot the first half of the day was we shot with the E camera. Uh, and uh, you know, and and had full 360 VR. And the second half of the day, brought in two cinema cameras and shot it with cinema. And I'm combining the two mediums into a full virtual stereoscopic 60 frame virtual th feature called Hollywood Rooftop. It was several years ago I shot. We're do we're still working out uh, the post production, and we're now starting to use AI in the post production. Very, very strongly, which is helping us get this thing done. So, so guess yeah, what? It's I, coming. Experiment. I did that as a process experiment because I felt there needs to be an immersive new wave. It's like there was French new wave uh, at the beginning of uh, French cinema because of the Eclair handheld cameras that came out. And then, you know, Jean-Luc Godard went into the streets of Paris and made Breathless uh, with Jean-Paul Armando and Gene Seberg. And so that's what we need in immersive cinema. We need a true sort of experimentation, process experimentation era of the immersive new wave. And Hollywood Rooftop is one of the first pieces that's meant to be uh, in that genre. Super hype. Wow. Super hype. Leading the charge once again in the filmmaking in VR space. I love it. I'm, I am curious, like, have you thought about at all, like, what distri like distribution of something like this looks like? Yes, we're going to be distributing it through the Ethereal engine. Look, my, my work with the Ethereal engine now and with Ubiquity VX is informing Every other thing I'm doing in the context of delivering virtual experience. Now that I'm able to deliver it with a link through the Ethereal engine, I have a true distribution platform that doesn't that everyone can experience. And Boom. it's pretty amazing. Well, that's a lot simpler Man. of an answer than I was expecting. <laughs> yeah, for real. And and I love the fact that you are uh, a, a director and and you know in this whole world that that uh, people are kind of really, really afraid of AI uh, taking yeah. over um, in, in Hollywood and stuff, but you're embracing that tech instead. Uh, do you... I, I am embracing it. I was on a panel a few weeks ago for Digital Hollywood or Digital LA. That was a bunch of people that were part of the Writers Guild. 
uh, and some that are part of the Screen Actors Guild, and uh, we were talking about the effect of AI on Hollywood. And I was, you know, on that panel. I was the only one on that panel that was really supporting the use of AI. <laughs> wow. Fully attacked. Fully I can attacked. imagine. I can imagine. Which I love, by the way, because it made the panel fun. You know, I say bring it on because, because I was saying, look, you can't, it's like the people that tried to stop sound at the beginning of sound in cinema. You can actually embrace this technology and use it as a superpower, not make it just the negative fear-based reaction. And it's being conflated in the uh, Writers Guild and, and Screen Actors Guild uh, you know, uh, strikes with this truly strong financial argument they have. They, look, I'm totally supportive of the strikes from the financial aspect of how the studios need to share more of the streaming service uh, era and, and create something beyond the streaming service era where everyone can share in the rewards. That needs to happen. I'm totally in support of that. Conflating AI into that is a big, is a big messy thing to try to do. And it's not gonna work because you've got to embrace it. It's a new technology that is going to be enabling for everyone. Now, the one thing I will say, maybe it's gonna be true that there's gonna be some attrition because all technologies have attrition is in extras. I mean, it's yeah. just when you now are able to have volumetrically captured AI-driven extras, that's hard to get past. Now, people will say, and that'll eventually become, all the actors will be AI. I, I think that's ridiculous. It's, yeah. it's like... Well, people have been doing that already, right? Like, if you watch Star yeah, exactly. Wars and it goes I mean, through the exactly. arena, I mean, everybody half, in there is a... Half the performances you see yeah. of a actor in a Marvel movie... Right. ...is a AI, uh, at least influenced digital character yeah okay so i mean it, the idea that we're stopping that is just ridiculous so let's embrace it and make it a superpower and put the guardrails in that are necessary because there are guardrails that are necessary to not just go bury our heads in the sand because that has never worked in the history of humankind and it never will right Never so will. never will. AI has come way, way too far, way too fast. It's like whipping the e-brake on that would be almost impossible. <laughs> yeah. uh, like seriously, I, I don't see how that could how that could be. But it's good to hear that there are people out there that are embracing the fact that we have this new tool that can do amazing and wonderful things, um, and that it can be a positive. It can be a positive. Thing. Here's one of the way, here's one of the ways. If, let's say you're working in a, in a writer's room or as an individual writer. AI can track the provenance of ideas more granularly than any other technology. And so the provenance of ideas and how they're rewarded, a system can be built upon that efficacy that AI allows. Wow, get it from that positive viewpoint. Let's create a story, a narrative around this that supports us as artists, as storytellers, as performers, not the other way around. And yeah, people say, oh, that's easier said than done. Yeah, but guess what? Every technology comes along, we have attrition, we have a, a period of transition, still paying with lives, thousands and thousands of lives every year for the mass transportation. 
Seriously, I, mean, yeah. I, I used I, that is a, such a good example. I try yeah. to use that example all the time. It's like, yeah, we've been enabled by cars, but the accidents on the road don't keep us from driving. You right. know, like right, yeah, exactly. exactly. And by the way, the act—it's a fucking apocalypse. Excuse me. <laughs> yeah, it is <laughs> an apocalypse. And 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 yet we still do it, and no one's going. We got to stop mass transportation. Now they are saying, let's use AI to make that better because AI will actually make self-driving cars safer, which I believe is the case. Yeah, and then we can go bumper to bumper 300 miles an hour everywhere we're going because (laughs) X will never cross Y. Like, we're humans, X cross Y all the time, but if computers are controlling it all, bumper to bumper, 250 miles an hour, reading a book, not giving a shit. Let's go. And by the way, there's, there's going to be accidents in the development of that. There always have been, but it's only can get better than where it's at now because the attrition uh, you know, with with personal automobiles and trucks and all that is huge yep. still to this day. So let's use technology again as a superpower that's going to help us advance as humans, not the other way around. Amen. Um, Brett, is there anything that you want to say about the metaverse? <laughs> well, <laughs> look, metaverse was a term coined by Neil Stevenson in his book, The Snow Crash, which came out in 1992, just like The Lawnmower Man. Hey, just and afterwards. Was, just after and, The Lawnmower Man. By the way, I was attached to it as a director very early on because of Lawnmower Man. Uh, actually, Kathleen Kennedy was uh, the producer attached. And it came, she came to me and said, oh, the studio's determined it's going to cost way too much money to do this movie. And they're scared of it. Because at that time, to do that full virtual world uh, and that would it would have been just insane. Yeah. So, so the film never happened, and still hasn't happened. But uh, look, to me, the metaverse is virtual experience. The metaverse is the digital twin. The metaverse is allowing true virtual interaction between human beings, not based upon geography. And so, it you know, it's already surrounding us. That's what you know. In my podcast, which I'll I'll plug here for a moment. And what the F is the Metaverse, a podcast I do with my son, Shannon Leonard. Um, uh, it, we talk about this and talk about the fact that the Metaverse is coming out of a symphony of all these different things that, again, are the training wheels for the full virtual world. The Metaverse is already around us, everybody. You just haven't turned it on yet in your life, perhaps. There it is. You know? Or you don't recognize that that's what it is. Yeah. So right. I know we're we're getting, you know— bit long in the tooth on this, but uh, I wanted to talk about some of the more recent projects, apart from Ubiquity VX, which, again, everyone should go check that out at ubiquityvx.com, and also etherealengine.io. Um, that's uh, that's very much a, the main focus of my life these days. Um, and then there's a few other projects, one of which I had started even before I was involved with Ubiquity, uh, called Darkstar. And Darkstar is a, a generative, procedurally generated, uh, AAA-level animation story uh, written by Christopher Stone. It's a full feature that we are then creating a, uh, a short around that is going to constantly evolve over time because we're engaging people to become part of this, utilizing generative procedural AI with a company called DNA Block, DNA Block, with their tool Replicant. I've utilized some of those tools in the creation of the foundation of what Darkstar will be. It's at Darkstar, D-R-K-S-T-A-R dot I-O. 
And uh, it is a very interesting project that I encourage people to join because you can join in and actually become part of the creation of it. And it never will stop being created. I believe that films of the future are not going to be static. They're going to be constantly evolving over time with the group mind. So this is, a, again, a process experimentation in that arena. Another project, which I'm announcing here as a, for a first time on a podcast. Let's go. Announced it at SIGGRAPH. Uh, is, a, is a project that's going to be the first full volumetric feature ever made called Astral, doing it with Ethereal Engine, putting in Ethereal Engine, and also a company called Wild Capture, which is run by Will Driscoll and his team. It's called Astral? Uh, and Astral. I, I gave you uh, the, the teaser poster. Yeah, it's up right can, now. Uh, you can yep. post. Yep. And uh, it's about interdimensional experience that's going to be utilizing biometric capture for all the characters, all the objects in a mixed reality AR narrative environment. So it's it's going to be the first time we're trying to tell a full volumetric AR feature story. And uh, that's one of the things I'm working on here as well. Again, utilizing Ethereal Engine as a distribution medium and wild capture as the volumetric because they they have perfected a lot of things in, in volumetric capture that others have not so they're these are great uh, projects and great companies that i'm working with that are uh, that are really pushing the boundaries of all these new mediums because that's that's really what i believe these things are these things are new mediums and if you lean into creating a new medium you actually can create another level of value and reward as opposed to just trying to reductively create same mediums with different tools. I think a little bit about of that kind of reductive thinking is at the core of you know the what's going on in Hollywood when we should be thinking about expanding into new mediums that are going to create more value. By the way, that's capitalism. <laughs> you know, I mean it's there's nothing radical about that. And yet it sometimes feels that tradition-bound aspects of any given industry can become reductive and can hold things and contract things back when really we should be creating an entirely new way of delivering immersive narrative experience through these streaming platforms. The, the streaming platforms are the perfect way to do it, especially when we're able to have things work in the context of the web with, with, uh, with platforms like Ethereal Engine. Yeah, you just give somebody a link. Exactly, exactly. And so we are ready to do this. And the projects I'm working on, uh, you know, surrounding all the things I'm doing with Ubiquity VX and Ethereal Engine, they are about that process experimentation to help birth these new mediums, which it, I can't think of a more exciting thing to be part of than the birthing of new mediums. That only comes around once every couple hundred years. And here we are. Amen. We're at that inflection wow. point right now. Amen. So um, quickly, do you know like what uh, like your timeline is for these projects? Like when someone can experience yeah, yeah, Darkstar? I mean, uh, uh, Darkstar is already up and starting to be disseminated. We're a little bit still in stealth mode, but that's going to become something you can actually buy a utility token to become part of the part of the project. Uh, just you know, keep going to Darkstar.io uh, and see what's going on there. But then also. Uh, with uh, Ubiquity, we're going to be launching our first product set uh, in the beginning, first quarter of 2024. We're doing pilot programs right now. 
uh, and Ethereal is open for business for people that want to create a metaverse virtual experience on a platform where you can just deliver it with a link. That's that's working now, and actually they're about to deliver. I can't t talk about what it is, but it's a, a big uh, a big telco is doing a project with them right now uh, because it delivers on mobile as well as everything else, which is very rare for virtual reality. So. Uh, that's great. And then Astral is is a, uh, the full feature, volumetric feature, will be available, uh, you know, in the middle of next year or so. Nice. That's, okay. That's, that's great that's to know. Wow. Yeah. Great to know. So it won't be that long before we can actually experience some of this, no, which no, is no. We're, so great. We're cranking. We're, we're moving. This is, this is not a time for slowing down. This is a time for speeding up. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, this is so great. Brett, did you like was this a part of the plan? Like did you know when you're make like when you're making these movies, you're like, "Oh yeah, it's I'm going to be in VR in 30 years, guaranteed." Or <laughs> would did this just kind of unfold? Absolutely. The whole thing was a plan like Harry Seldon would have made for second. No. Of course. <laughs> I mean <laughs> I wish I wish I could say I was that that smart. Uh it this has happened very organically in my life. Like I said, I made some movies a while ago that I literally have walked into and I'm living in now. Wild. Uh, you know, and that has been part of my experience as a storyteller, as someone who has got the chance and the blessing to tell stories on a global basis. And uh, I'm just tickled pink that I get to experience and experiment in that, those ranges. It's, uh, it's, it's been a great blessing in my life and I feel very, very, Humble about it because the more people get affected by your, you know, your storytelling, the more humble you become because you realize there's real responsibility to this, and that's why I want to be part of use of virtual reality for making people feel better, for health and wellness, for things that actually utilize this technology in a positive way. Because I believe the virtual world and the uh, the digital twin and all the things that we're playing with metaverse writ large something that can enhance human reality, connect us even deeper as a global culture. And that's the hope. You know, there's everything else is going to happen too. Trust me, I know. I'm not, I'm not Pollyanna about it. We have to focus on the more positive story because that is the only way it'll happen at all. Tell us about Man. virtual psychedelics. Yes. <laughs> yes, please. So Virtual Psychedelics is a company, VPI, which is about how to create psychedelic experience just through virtual reality. Uh, it also is designed to be utilizing virtual reality therapies in concert with psychedelic therapy. Now, the company is not involved with the psychedelic therapy side of it. We're only involved in the virtual reality side, but we're working with companies and with clinicians are using things like ketamine and other, uh, you know, other psychedelic therapies to help people. And it turns out that for set and setting, and for things that are, uh, you know, relate to the efficacy of the psychedelic experience, virtual experience can work very strongly to create a greater synergistic effect in the positive direction. And uh, um, you know, my my partner in 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 uh, virtual uh, in Ubiquity VX. Uh, my my business partner is David Kirshner. Uh, he's the CEO, and then our chief scientist is Dr. Skip Rizzo. Um, and our CTO and the head of Ethereal Engine is Lee Ambrosia. These people, I mean, they're very focused on utilizing therapies in a new way. Now, BPI is a separate company that's focused on the virtual aspect. I believe 
that in the future, virtual psychedelic experience will be just as powerful as the experience that you can t- take with an actual substance. By following the plant medicines and following where they take us in the human mind. So it's still coming from the plant medicines energetically, just crossing over into the virtual. I mean, is this not like low key, just like, um, like what's the word, uh, where like the guy like rocks the fucking, uh, like watch in front of you, you know, like, what do they call that? Like, um, like hypnosis, hypnosis, hypnosis. hypnosis. Yeah. Yes. not a little bit like no, that I because mean, have, you, have you ever, have you done any psychedelics? Oh yeah. I've, uh-huh. I've had, I've had very profound psychedelic experiences. Yeah, so, and, so, you know, you understand that. I mean, same kind of receptor sites can be, can be stimulated by a flashing light plasticity in the context of virtual experience. It's a flashing light. Yeah. Which yeah. is, which is wild, man. It can make you believe you are somewhere else. That right there is already a psychedelic. It's giving you the experience exactly. that you, that something is happening that, that, that maybe isn't. Right? I mean, to me, going back to long romance, of course, you know, the, the aesthetic that we talked about it being then, uh, I've used, you know, sort of the cyber aesthetic, but really it was cyberdelic. Nice. It was a cyberdelic aesthetic. And matter of fact, in Lawman, changing the human brain, the human mind was an aspect of the story. And that's what virtual psychedelics came out of. It came out of that aspect of the story. Wow. Uh, to want to create the reality of that. I love because it. Dr. Man. Skip Rizzo, who's our you know chief scientist and one of the co-founders, saw that film 31 years ago. And that's why he took his, one of the main reasons he took his, uh, work in that direction then when i met him many years later we were naturally bonded because you know i was a storyteller that told it and he took it and actually created therapies with it that have been utilized for the past 25 years and have great efficacy so it's pretty again it's an amazing story of transmutation of story into reality mm-hmm. that's kind of where i'm living right now Yep. And I really do think that we are like right on the cusp of it. You know, I talk about this a lot on this show, to be honest. So apologies for everybody who's heard this a hundred times, but like, (laughs) you know, for me, like there's this moment of VR where like it creates this, this present moment awareness that you just honestly don't have in your day to day, just exactly like hallucinogenics. You know, I don't wake up in the morning and look at my hands and say, Oh my God, there are my hands. But I do that in VR. I put a headset on. I'm like, Whoa, it like pulls you into the moment in a way that like honestly only things like 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 a spiritual practice or hallucinogenics typically are able to do so i think we're right i I believe that i I believe that virtual experience is inherently a spiritual experience now it can form whatever your belief system is i'm not saying it in any given one belief system but i believe that it is truly a metaphysical experience to utilize virtual world and i think that that's a positive i think that that's something that we can lean into and create truly positive use cases based upon that intention i mean to me that's like the ultimate potential like i can't imagine a a better thing happening as a result of a technology like what do you think the ultimate potential is because it almost sounds like this is like a stepping stone to where we're going from your perspective yeah, no, I mean, for me, the reason I've stayed in it, I just didn't make a couple films and then moved on. And because I've made a lot of other films, a lot about a lot of other things. But the reason I'm focused in this area is because I believe it's fundamentally revolutionary and evolutionary force that we have to take responsibility for. Again, you have, if we're going to be creators, let's help create the world 
world for our children and grandchildren and their children and grandchildren that is utilizing these, these technologies in an incredibly positive, humanistic way. And as a humanist, that's where my focus is. And so I almost feel compelled to be part of it uh, because I told a story about it that helped popularize it. So it's kind of like, it's karmic. You know, I better help yeah. guide this in the positive direction, be a small part of that, uh, or, uh, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not really taking responsibility. Amen. So it's, it's, a, it's a very important part of my life. That's my mission, is to help tell the story, tell the narrative, and also help create the operability of using these technologies in a completely positive, humanistic way. That's, that's, that's the mission. Amen. Yeah, this is so good. Skiva. Beautiful. Listen, I, you know, we're, uh, wow. you know, we're kind of getting there. You know what I mean? Wow. Like we, we're, and we're still sitting here with Brett Leonard, the writer and director of the lawnmower man. So like what, what haven't you had a chance to ask yet here, dude? <laughs> oh man. There, you there, know, I, you know, not to put the pressure I, on you. I know I got, you know, usually, usually I have six, seven questions on a thing that just, just to pick from if, if the, you know, conversation needs a little jump start. I have a thousand here. Right. So, so this isn't, this isn't even a thing, so, but, but really, really what I want to, I guess what I want to say, because we are almost at the end here is I just want to take a second just to say, thank you for the, for the influence and the, in the, and the positive influence and kind of the, a little bit of the kickstart of the steering of where my life went. Uh, because, you know, I mean, I think it probably would have ended up here anyway, but this really, this, you know, your storytelling really drove me to like, it, you know, it took years and years of, of really wanting this technology to happen and like hunting it down every chance I could get, because this wasn't a normal thing back in the nineties the and the early two thousands. And I waited for it and I hunted every VR thing down I possibly could and I waited and the second VR started to happen for real I jumped ship with my career and I and I landed here and this is where I want to be and uh, I can't help but to think that in some small way um, or even a bigger way you were partially responsible for that so thank you well look it, it's it, you can't hear a better thing as a storyteller than what you just said so thank you very very much and I want to thank by the way the live stream audience. One of the reasons I wanted to do this is because you live stream it. I think live is really important because the mm -hmm. virtual world is going to be live, everybody. It's not going to be a recorded lean back situation. It's going to be you're in it and you're experiencing it. And so this is a step in that direction. So yeah. I'm, I'm glad you're doing it that way, guys. Thanks, man. Yeah. Thank so, you. Brett, uh, before we wrap it up, is there anything that's sitting on the surface that we should pluck out before uh, we, we start to kind of say our goodbyes? Like anything that's really important about VR or what's happening right now or your approach to what you're doing that we didn't mention that you want to make sure that we get out um, before we say goodbye? No, just, just that for everyone that's got an interest in this, don't lean back, lean forward into it, really jump in now, because we are at an inflection point that's so rare in history, uh, in, in human evolution. It's really an important pivot point, a really important inflection point. And the passion of human beings with positive intention, even a small group of them can change the world. And that's what we want to happen in the context of virtual experience and the metaverse and all of these things we've been talking about. We want to change the world in a positive way. We have greater and more intimate connection with each other and can understand each other even better, even though we're in these fleshy cages. 
because in a way, virtual world will free us from these fleshy cages, probably in a very profound way at some point in future history. So realize that it starts now and it starts with you. Wow. You have what been an ending. a perfect guest for our podcast, Brett. Like <laughs> this has been exact. This is the conversation we want to have every single week that we do this brother like you, thank you it's been fun. thank you so much for thank your you. time thank you for your contributions to the space previous and continued and um, you know hopefully you'll grace us with your presence again in the future when we have a little bit more to share and we can dig back into it yeah. again and maybe uh, uncover the story of the lawnmower man too when that time comes <laughs> oh around. my god that's a whole other story <laughs> <laughs> take care guys thank Brett you so Leonard much. writer and director so of the much. lawnmower man and, and if he's a part of all of the amazing things that we talked about ubiquitous ubiquity ubiquity, ubiquity and ethereal yes. engine and, and dark star and astral we're excited for all of it man um stay in touch and we'll see you soon here all right say Thanks, goodbye brett. to brett, brett everybody bye brett bye, bye. bye. and there he goes and he's gone man wow what an absolutely killer episode you know you just you never truly know you know you know you look back on some of these movies you never know if that was just a story told that kind of left the person's mind and they moved on and that was the end of that right so to hear that that he believes so much in in this technology and everything that's happening and he's still here pushing it forward and making it happen is just such an amazing and wonderful thing Dude. Um, it's couldn't have been any better Skeva, as soon as this broadcast ends Steve and i are going to like stand up and like start like running around this place like cheering you know like well, we're gonna do one of those things where you jump and high five and yeah. it pauses midair yeah. that's, that's what's gonna happen um hey everybody thank you for tuning in to the episode today um whether it was live or you're catching the replay on upload yes. or you're on itunes or spotify or whatever um thank you for listening and for being a part of the between realities community it means a lot to us especially those who contribute with super chats or their channel members or patreons um you know i wish we like I, I want to acknowledge all of you and make sure you understand just how like uh, how much we appreciate that. We really do. We appreciate you, know, you so much. We really, really do. Yeah. And like, it seems like everybody is like cool, just like being a part of it and like contributing. But like, please, for the love of God, if you know a way that we can give back to like thank you you know like i, I try mm -hmm. to share game codes and people don't take them and stuff you know so like i don't know what to do but like if you have an idea as a way that maybe we can include our patreons or channel members more or you know anything do, do not hesitate to let us know because anything that we can do to um show you how much we appreciate you we would love to do absolutely wow thank you all for being a part of between realities yes. and, uh, listen, and, and using your friday to to watch our broadcast to listen to it uh, or any other day that you're listening to this because uh it's we're truly creating the show that that we want to see um and you know we're happy that there are others that that are enjoying it as amen well, so people you. like techno glitch and fluke rogi and kensei and epilot 007 and tribe gray wolf and snow toad and arcanian and uh michael v that's a name i don't recognize thank you for being here dude and Rezl, uh, reza 2020 and Rezl also VR. Uh, mind jive has been up in here and paradise decay ashley c snow toad red slash ace traveling man um duggars k hitting with the donation legends he said donating thanks to mickey burr in recognition of him being the key meister amen yeah <laughs> hussein x dude i saw you in there thanks bro decepticon um you know uh 
uh, Brittany, thank you for watching the show, dear. And, and Master Cool, uh, who cruised in, was like, what's the lawnmower, man? <laughs> 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 Some Statica, Secrets <laughs> of, um, Obscure Nerd VR got up in here. Virtual Steve is like, yo, I got to go watch this movie. Yeah, bro. Yeah, do. Absolutely. Uh, Laszlo216, um, Virtual Strangers West, Q2C VR Gamer, Gamertag VR, Fabster. Yeah, all of you. Um, You're all uh, legends. Desmoda, yes, I see you, bro. Thank you for being here. Um, we love you all. Skiva. Yes. Tell me something. Something. Thank you. Uh, okay. Back uh, a year ago. Okay. No, 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 oh, no, 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 no. Okay. No, no. Okay. Time for Not this. that. Okay. So, so next week uh, we will be back uh, with with Craig, your boss of Contact CI, oh. making the future of haptic gloves in touching inside of rea uh, virtual reality a real thing. So that's going to be rad. I uh, can't just, wait. I just celebrated one year with Contact CI. Nice. Yep. My Amazing. first year uh, as strategic partnership. Yep. Strategic partnership manager for the company. Very uh, cool. And Craig is my direct superior. The two of us make up the business development team at the company. And uh, this is our opportunity to learn what it's like to work with Alex. You know what I mean? So <laughs> feel free to show up and uh, you know ask all the questions. Um, I'm excited Love to it. have him on. We work together every day and are constantly working to get these haptic gloves to the people who need them. Um, and it's going to be fun to talk about you know because i yeah. have such a personal investment in the whole thing yep. so and that's yeah. gonna be great i can't wait I'm looking forward to it yep 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 getting things done bro love you thank you for being here um mickey bear again just dropping codes all the way up to the last second thank you all Same. so much we will see you next week with craig douglas from contact ci have a great weekend uh skiva's got a kid right i do he's got a kid i'm gonna play <laughs> firewall so if you like firewall hit me up have a good weekend everybody all right see you guys bye-bye